WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Medicaid expansion in North Carolina could still be months away, delaying health insurance for more than half a million folks who are working but can't afford coverage. Things looked promising back in March. After a decade of debate, a bipartisan group of state lawmakers finally passed the legislation. But here's the thing. They added a provision that said it could not take effect until a state budget was passed. Well, now, nearly five months later, we still don't have a budget and we still don't have Medicaid expansion. The House Speaker says he doesn't expect one before September, speaking about the budget, meaning we'll miss a key federal deadline for getting people health insurance and we'll miss out on millions of dollars from the federal government. Joining us now is Cody Kinsley. He's North Carolina Secretary of Health and Human Services. Secretary, thanks for coming on Flashpoint. We appreciate it. Great to be here. All right, so your department looking to uh, sort of officially expand Medicaid by October 1st of this year. You've said that you, you need a month to get ready for that, putting us at September 1st, which is now just a, a few weeks away. Uh, have you spoken to lawmakers? And, and, and if so, uh, what are they telling you about this timeline? You know, we were transparent with lawmakers about our efforts to really get expansion going live in North Carolina as soon as possible, uh, which is why we announced October 1 and made clear that we need authority no later than September 1st. You know, I, I think it's sad to hear that lawmakers are struggling to get the budget done. I think it's a real shame uh, that uh, lawmakers are willing to forego hundreds of millions of dollars of federal resources coming in North Carolina, uh, and it's tragic. Uh, uh, that we're willing to run it up to the line here and risk hundreds of thousands of people of losing access to care um, and not getting access to care. Uh, and so my hope is that the General Assembly will continue to work hard, uh, will give the department the authority that it needs to move forward, uh, because we have got to get Medicaid expanded as soon as possible. Uh, it's a real big deal to a lot of people. And it's been more than a decade in the making, uh, we should put point out this has been a long time coming. Um, I know one option has been if this doesn't look like it's going to happen in the next few weeks would be the idea of decoupling um, Medicaid expansion actually from the budget. I any indication that that's a real possibility? You know, Medicaid expansion stands on its own feed. It doesn't require any additional state funding uh, to operate, uh, uh, which is what's great about it. It draws hundreds of millions of dollars in healthcare uh, payments into North Carolina um, all by itself. Uh, so there's no reason why we are waiting since March 27th when this bipartisan legislation was signed to today. Uh, and again, October 1, we'll have 300,000 North Carolinians uh, uh, on coverage, if we can go live, uh, that will increase up to 600,000 people. And now, because of the end of the public health emergency and the Medicaid unwinding, about 9,000 people are currently on Medicaid, are losing their coverage. They would have been able to stay on if expansion were in place. And so this slippage of uh, the budget and not getting authority is having a real impact on folks. But, but I mean, honestly speaking, I mean, ha have you gotten anywhere with the idea of separating this? I mean, because I know in, in the past, Republicans have not seemed on board with that. But have you gotten any indication that that's a possibility at least? You know, I, I have been working closely with the General Assembly. Uh, I know that they are passionate about trying to make a difference for folks. Uh, I know they're very focused on getting the budget done. Uh, my hope is that uh, 
now that they've continued to slide on the budget that they'll consider decoupling more seriously, uh, recognizing the impacts. But, but look, there are other real important things in the budget too that'll make a difference in people's lives that they also need to get done. You know, I'm particularly concerned about rural health in North Carolina. We know that folks in rural communities are three to four times as likely to be uninsured. We've seen nearly a dozen rural hospitals close over the last decade in North Carolina, in part because we didn't have Medicaid expansion. We know that rural communities are struggling with opioids and with healthcare workforce issues. Much of what was in the budget from a healthcare perspective would have a real and positive impact on those communities. So, you know, I'd say let's get to work. Let's get authority for expansion clear so we can move forward here and let's get this budget done uh, and invest in North Carolina. Uh, folks need it. You touched on it, but okay, say we missed the October 1st deadline, then explain what we miss out on at that point and what it means for your timeline moving forward. So uh, if we miss the September 1 authority uh, moment, uh, is likely, depending on how far we slide, um, that we may need to go live December 1, but it could be well into 2024. Uh, and that has a real impact on people. So right now, about 9,000 people are losing their coverage each month who would have been able to stay on had expansion been in place already. Uh, also, we have about 300,000 people that are in a lesser benefit uh, in Medicaid who we will be able to automatically move into a full benefit on the date we go live. So those are folks that um, whether you've lost coverage or you don't get coverage, that means you can't see the doctor. You can't get your blood pressure medications covered. You can't get your uh, insulin covered, uh, your chronic diseases under control. These people um, need that care. It's important to them. It's important to their families. It's also particularly important to our small businesses in rural communities. Think about the small businesses that make our rural towns in North Carolina so vibrant and exciting, where many of us live and love to travel and visit. Uh, these small business owners, can't afford health insurance for their employees. 80% of people who will benefit from expansion are in working families. Uh, this is a huge investment in rural communities and in working families. While I have you, I, I wanna ask you about COVID as kids go back to the classroom uh, this fall. Uh, how is your office treating this? Is it now treating it like it would any other common you know, issue out there like the flu or anything like, like that? Or are you still treating this as a different sort of game? You know, COVID is a disease that is here with us and will continue to have case numbers rise and fall, much like RSV and flu and other respiratory illnesses. Uh, we are seeing a period of time right now where viral transmission is increasing over the last several weeks, um, much like we have had other summer surges. Uh, first and foremost, our most powerful tool to prevent uh, illness is vaccination. Uh, and so folks should be up to date on their vaccines, uh, have tests, available to you at home rapid tests um, are a quick way for you to know if your sniffles are COVID or something else. So you can keep yourself away from others, keep yourself healthy. Uh, and also I want folks to know that treatment uh, is widely available now. Uh, and so ask your healthcare provider um, about whether treatment is right for you. Uh, we suspect that we'll have from the CDC approvals on a uh, updated booster uh, later in September that is tailored to the most recent variants for COVID-19. Uh, and that's going to be much like you get an annual flu shot, uh, an important investment in your health uh, at that time. So uh, we'll continue to see these uh, variants rise and fall. 
Uh, finally, this week, the FDA changing guidelines to allow men who have sex with other men to donate blood. This has been a controversial uh, topic now for, for, for decades. A lot of gay men not able to donate blood. As a gay man yourself, this is something personal for you. And, and this week, you actually went ahead and you gave blood. Explain to us why this doesn't make just smart sense, but it also is helping out uh, a lot of these organizations that have struggled with, with blood donations over the years. You know, uh, this change in policy uh, is a long time coming, and I'm happy. I take a lot of pride in having played uh, a small part in getting the policy to be changed and then uh, a small part in rolling up my own sleeve and donating blood. Uh, it's a win, win, win. It's a win because um, this behavior-based risk assessment as opposed to identity-based risk assessment uh, is a smarter way for us to protect uh, the blood supply. Uh, it also is a win because it allows us to have a more robust blood supply. More donors like myself uh, can come forward, roll up their sleeve and give blood because there's no substitute for blood. Uh, people that have chronic diseases or people that are in tragic accidents, they need blood and there is no replacement to save their lives. Uh, and then it's a win also because it invites more folks to the table of charity and contribution uh, and the ability to give back. So um, I'm glad that we have done this and I, I want to invite everyone uh, uh, to reconsider your eligibility, uh, roll up your sleeve. You can give blood uh, every eight weeks. Uh, join me in saving a life. All right. Secretary of Health and Human Services for the state of North Carolina, Cody Kinsley. Secretary, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Great to be here. Take care. All right. Take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. More students headed back to the classroom this year, but they have a big advantage since the last time you were probably a student. Artificial intelligence is taking over the classroom. Both teachers and students are using the technology, but say it could go too far. Joining us now is Xi'an Jiang. She is an education professor at NC State who studies technology in the classroom. Professor, thanks for coming on Flashpoint. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, so it strikes me that AI can really help teachers in a, in a variety of ways. It can help them grade assignments or tests. It can, it can help students with research, but of course there's a lot of gray area when it comes to, to things like safety online or even plagiarism. So let's start with the good news here. At its best, what can AI do to help in the classroom? Yeah, there are many different ways that AI can help. For example, assist, uh, there are like a automatic assessment tools that can give teachers feedback in terms of uh, where students are, what kind of concepts might be struggling with and how they can tailor the instruction to meet the needs of students uh, from different backgrounds. So the good part is that we have a really good automated assessment tool for teachers to use. And also because right now we have AI that uh, each teacher might have a, uh, their own individualized uh, teacher assistant that designed by AI agent. So in this way that each teacher has some help in the classroom uh, with the agent as a support. Uh, those are all the promising side of using AI uh, in classrooms. And what about then you talk Just about name students. a few. Yeah, you talk, you, you talk about for the teachers, but then what about for the students? How, how can it be, again, uh, we'll get to the negative stuff in a second, but how can it be used as a positive for the students? Yeah, so for students, uh, they can have like, for example, in uh, coding, when they learn computer science, 
uh, they can use AI uh, agent as their uh, peer, like coding peer that can help them to address debugging uh, uh, in the debugging uh, process to address like uh, the errors in the code. And there are many other ways that uh, AI design as an agent to support teachers. So it's more like they have a peer uh, always with them and address their problems, not just as an instructor, but as a peer that who might share similar struggles and uh, help them in the process of problem solving. See, now all that stuff sounds really good and really positive, but, but, we, but we know that there, there is some negative as well. As a person who studies this for a living, as a person who's intimately aware of, of technology in the classroom, what is then um, the worst case scenario when it comes to AI in the classroom? What parents watching this, what they need to be worried about? Uh -huh. So there are many things we need to consider. Uh, one big thing is about AI bias and ethics. Uh, in terms, because AI, at, at least currently, they're most built on training data that uh, have been uh, generated by someone from some perspective. And it is not transparent in terms of what kind of data they're training on. And we're not sure that whether those models, uh, I mean, in particular, machine learning models trained on historical data and what kind of prediction results might come out and how should we, whether we should trust those results and in what ways. So that's a big challenge in education. It's more about the bias, the ethics, and also uh, data privacy and many other things we need to consider when bringing AI into uh, classrooms. We, we know at this point, when we talk about education in any way, and, and we talk about students going back to the classroom, that um, school districts are, are strapped right now for cash. Uh, we know that, that teachers are strapped and they're stressed. They have their hands full. From the work you do, from your research, does it appear that teachers are, are fully prepared to handle AI in the classroom? Um, I mean, based on my discussions with uh, teachers, uh, it's still ongoing debates and going discussions in terms of what guidelines we put there when bringing AI tools uh, into the classroom, especially uh, right now, the uh, kind of uh, tool that's very permanent is uh, uh, generative AI technologies. For example, the AI can generate uh, essays much better than the than the students would write uh, in classrooms. And uh, what kind of regulations or guidelines we should have uh, in terms of bringing those uh, tools in the classroom still uh, ongoing conversation. And there are several uh, workshops uh, offered by NC State faculty members like Tiffany Barnes. Uh, she uh, had a um, summer workshop for teachers to think about how we can bring AI tools uh, into classrooms, for example, ChatGPT to generate uh, solid lesson plans and how that should work and uh, what kind of things we should consider when using that tool to uh, support the teaching practice. So there are many things happening, lots of discussions. Uh, in terms of saying preparedness to use a tool, I would say we are fully engaged in the discussions and we are very uh, excited about what would go next and how that would shape uh, the practices in classrooms. I, I've seen that some districts are considering banning chat GPT um, in the classroom. Do you, do you think that that is too reactionary? Do you think that goes too far? Uh, in terms of banning the tool, uh, the my at least that's my perspective is that instead of banning the tool, we should more think about how we can leverage the tool because it exists there. 
no matter whether we bend or not, students know it, teachers know it, parents know it, they can use that in some way. We should make that transparent and make that a discussion. And I think that this discussion should involve teachers and parents in the community too, not just teachers, educators, researchers. So I, well, I hope that it's, it's kind of a, a discussion happening in different sectors. And then we bring our efforts together to think about how we can leverage this tool and what kind of things we need to consider when bring that into the classroom as a teaching tool or student learning tool. And, and finally, wh what is your message to the school districts out there? Say Charlotte Mecklenburg schools or Wake County schools it comes to you asking for your advice. When it comes to AI, what is your message for those districts? So my message for, I will go back to what uh, in my st study area, I study student learning in AI education. I would stress the importance of opening the black box of AI and for teachers, for students, for parents, for the community to really see what's going on in the AI algorithms and how we can use it and how it produced the, the kind of result that we get and how we even see uh, the ads that we see in uh, YouTube videos. So I want us to, to have a transparent view of how AI is created in such a way that could serve a foundation for us to think about how we can bring that into classrooms and what we should consider when we use them in teaching learning practices. All right, Professor Jang, NC State. Professor, thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me again and um, um, I really hope that this discussion can go on and on and have an open discussion for the whole society to think about where the future is. It's an area that needs everyone's input and effort. It's an important discussion that I think will continue for sure. All right, Professor, thanks. We appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Charlotte Area Transit System now investigating what it calls a minor derailment from a few weeks ago. CATS leadership shared that information with the Transportation Planning and Development Committee this week, while also updating the group on how it's handling fleet repairs. WCNC Charlotte's Jesse Pierre takes a look at the agency's progress. We have now successfully negotiated and executed an agreement with Siemens uh, to conduct um, all of the work necessary and future work necessary for the vehicle uh, trucks. Charlotte Area Transit System Interim CEO Brent Cagle working to correct issues that could lead to any future derailment, like the one in May of last year caused by a faulty wheel bearing. During the Transportation Planning and Development Committee meeting, Cagle also noted the investigation of the derailment that happened on May 10th of 2023 has been completed. He says it was not due to a mechanical issue or a bearing failure, but several smaller contributing factors that caused the wheel to override. The track greaser was, was clogged, the wheel was grooved. We also found that the crown of the track or the top of the track had minor wear on it right where this occurred. Again, it wasn't outside of normal operating specifications. The agency now looking into a new derailment. This one on July 28th. The agency says the train was not in service and it happened in the maintenance yard. The incident is being investigated, but Cagle said all signs point to human error. The operator was bringing the train out of the service uh, bay and was switching tracks. As they switched tr tracks, 
um, the switchgear was not fully engaged. Cagle also made some management announcements. Gary Lee, who has been serving as the interim rail operations general manager, is now moving into the position permanently. In a video shared by the city of Charlotte, City Councilman Ed Driggs says the agency is on the right track and the transportation system is safe. We have dealt with a lot of the stuff that came to light. Uh, some of the things will take longer to resolve fully, like maintenance issues. We now have contracts in place that go out a couple of years in order to get all of the CATS trains serviced, fully serviced but they're, they're working, everything is functioning. Driggs says with the new management, he expects to continue to see progress across CATS and hopes to rebuild trust with the public. Jesse Pierre, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Folks, come interact with us on social media. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we're there. If there's something you want us to talk about here on Flashpoint, let us know. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.